Yes, we are back. It is uh, the final time for me this year, but not for Pet Chat. I mean, the, the real state. The, it's my final show. Oh, Dr. David Tarrant, for the year? For the year. Oh, thank goodness. It sounds no, no, quite no. fun. Oh, look, we'll... We'll get to uh, planning for next year. Oh, Cheryl and I have already the read the promo. You've got to come back next year. It says your oh, name. I thought you were going to say you've swapped my seat out. <laughs> no. I just haven't had the redundancy notice yet. Oh, no, never. But Cheryl, sure, you are coming back next week. You're a stayer. I'll be here. You'll mm. be here. It's oh. good to have someone you can trust on. It certainly yeah, is. Yeah, sorry. And David, you won an award at our Christmas party, uh, which oh, was last Wednesday. I'm s- I'm so honoured. It it's a beautiful award. Thank you. Now, it Thank was you. For, for service here, wasn't it? Yes, yes. How uh, many years? Well, 10 years. Wow. So 10 years you've been well, gracing the airwaves of Newcastle and the Hunter. I, yeah. I had about a two-year audition before that. So it seems to have, um, yeah. So 12 years in total? Something like that. Wow. But it's been great. Oh, been great. I love lovely. it. I love Pet Chat. Yeah, so love do our, we. Love our listeners. Yeah, they're amazing. Cheryl, are you wearing a beautiful brooch? Is it a butterfly? Oh, uh, a look moth? better. Look closer. Oh, it's a dirty fly. Oh, it is a fly. Mm-hmm. It's a very pretty fly. Uh, blue fly. So what are we talking about? Uh, flies. Flies today and our pets. Ah, uh, okay, because they can really annoy our pets but, as well. As but well not as pet flies. No. Yuck. No. Oh, yeah. Is that like I'm watchy just, flies or I'm, something? Sometime I'm going to have a, sh- a topic that Cheryl doesn't have a brooch for. <laughs> haven't, haven't found it that yet. That can be the goal for 2020. Oh. <laughs> Good on you, David. <laughs> oh, we've got Jenny in Fern Bay. You've got a question for Dr. David Tabret about your dog. Yeah, I've got two actually. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I've got a beautiful little um, female, eight-month-old, warty shit to cross cavoodle. Right. Okay. Now, you know the tears they have that come out of yes. their eyes? Yes. And how, how do we get rid of those? How do we keep them okay? Um, well, this is a very common problem in these smaller dogs that we see, yeah. and particularly probably the cavoodly part is produces a little bit of shortening of the snout, and uh-huh. what, what that does is the normal tear duct that flows from uh, the inside edge of the eye drains tears and they go down into the nose. Uh-huh. Okay. And so dogs that have got these pushed-in faces, the brachycephalics, that duct often becomes a little bit narrower and uh, sometimes a little bit windy on its way down into the nose. And so uh-huh. basically you're producing – the tears are coming faster than they can drain away. So it's like running the bathtub – um, but the drain is too small, yeah, so it over, okay. overflows. So mm-hmm. this gives us a question. One is, um, are there more tears than we expect? Okay. Mm-hmm. So if we've got some degree of eye irritation, uh, then you will see excess tears, and it doesn't, you know, it's the tears staining that you're seeing flowing over the front of the eye. That's actually a symptom of a problem. So I'd be looking to see whether the the white part of the eye is red or more prominent blood vessels and that could actually indicate that there's some irritation there the common thing that we see in these kind of breeds would be either a rolled in eyelid or perhaps a rolled out eyelid so that's called entropian or ectropian and then the other thing we see is sometimes they'll actually get ex um, their eyelashes can be rubbing against the eye now there's two types of problems they can get there one is called dystochiasis 
which is where the uh, eyelashes emerge in the right place, but they're actually folded back and rubbing on the surface of the eye. And the other one is called ectopic cilia, and that cilia meaning the eyelash, and ectopic meaning it's in the wrong place. So it's actually growing in the wrong place and growing in towards the eye. So both of those things can be treated. Now, that's an easy thing for your vet to check. If mm-hmm. it's if it's not one of those things, then sometimes it's just the fact that the tears are coming faster than what the drainage can occur. Okay. Um, and you, it, you know, no harm, um, but obviously it stains the face. And the reason it stains the face is that inside, in the tear secretion, uh, various enzymes and so on, and um, they contain iron. And when they're exposed to air, when you expose iron to moisture and air, it turns into rust. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. so that's okay. why you get this reddish stain because it's actually rust. Okay, right. So, so I'll see my vet yes. uh, probably next year now. Mm-hmm. Anything you can do to clear the tears away and the, the um, gunk that builds up with it. So just you can wipe it away with some salty water. Mm-hmm. Okay, a teaspoon of salt to a cup of water that's been boiled and cooled. Mm-hmm. That's the best. Uh, Solution because it actually okay. m- mimics the saltiness of the tears. Uh-huh. Uh, fresh water is not terrible, but sometimes it can actually irritate the eye. Uh-huh. Um, so use the salty water, okay. teaspoon of salt. The other thing yep. I would just caution is to say, if you have a look at the, that eye and the white part is red, mm-hmm. you, you need to get to the vet earlier because if okay. you wait that long, you could end up with permanent eye damage. Okay, righto. So okay. otherwise just wipe it away and then... See your vet. In very rare cases, I have seen where they've actually had a um, a new drainage puncture. It's called where we right. op- open up the drainage, but usually yeah. it's managed uh, just yeah. by wiping the eyes. Yeah. So. Okay. Well, thank you for that. No worries. Thanks for the call, Jenny. Merry Christmas. Yeah, I've got another question. Oh. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, um, I took her to um, obedience school last week. Yes. And she went absolutely ballistic. With all the other dogs there, it was quite embarrassing, really. Um, can you suggest anything that would calm her down? Um, this sounds like something Cheryl could jump uh, in on, I reckon. Je- Jenny, one of the things with a young puppy, when they get a lot of um, exposure to many, many dogs, they're not usually sure how to interact with that. So it can be mm-hmm. a little bit overwhelming. But just no, keeping yeah. your puppy close by you on the leash on the ground and keeping it walking. If you tap the side of your legs and offer some treats, sometimes those things can be enough just to settle mm-hmm. your puppy down and take the concentration back to you rather mm-hmm. than the other puppies. But no okay. doubt going off to obedience is going to be very good in the long run. So I think it's a great thing to be doing yeah and i think it's probably just you do it a few times and get into the habit then she'll start to settle down and what cheryl was saying about getting her to stay close on the lead is the best advice so thanks very much jenny uh we've lost karen from taralba karen give us a call back if you can we do have a free line for you we're going to go to shand now you've got a a question newcastle rescue dog uh you're looking after and have a question about that yeah, I've had her a few years now. It's not that. It's just she's developed a cough lately, so I've phoned around different people, and apparently coughs are really prevalent. I assume it's the smoke. Is that right? Oh, because she coughs at night as a gasp and sounds like she's been smoking all her life. But, uh, yeah. But how, how old How old is, is your dog? Six and a half. She's six, six and a half years old. Uh, she walks every night for her. She's extremely healthy. Chunky, but healthy. 
But uh, no, she's got this cough, and I'm sort of, you know, I'll live with me dog now, so I mean, her. But um, yeah, I just wondered if, if coughs are prevalent at the moment. What's And what breed of dog is. Uh... She's, a, she's a mixed blue and red cow. Okay. Um, so there's a lot of reasons for dogs to cough. Certainly, you know, the air quality, I think, is an issue that we need to pay attention to. Um, and uh, hopefully, we'll see some respite from that. Uh, for all of us, and um, particularly for the fireys who are working so hard across our region. But um, a lot of reasons to see dogs cough. It It is a normal response of the body that is getting rid of something from their airway that is abnormal. So it could be soot and, um, you know, particles in the air. But I think we also have to think about some of the other things. We do see infectious diseases. Uh, we do see pneumonia. Um, we do see heart failure as a cause of cough. So some of those things can be subtle in their initial stages. You know, if I say the word heart failure and we say, oh, look, she seems fine otherwise, sometimes the cough might be the first thing that shows up. Um, And it's kind of difficult to get into the mechanics of it, but we can see a cough with early, very early signs of heart disease due to changes in the shape of the heart. Um, And paradoxically, we don't see them coughing when their heart disease is quite advanced. So sometimes that can be a clue, um, but not, we don't, I wouldn't say that there's particularly any conditions that we see rather than, you know, dogs are often more outside, getting a little bit more exposure to other dogs. Perhaps that's an issue, but I'd, I'd say if it's been persisting for a little while, it's worth a trip to the vet and get them to have a look maybe check out, listen to the chest, see what's going on. Sometimes, you know, if we see a dog like that, we would look for other symptoms that are actually telling us where the problem is, whether it's heart, whether it's lung, airway, things like that. And obviously the early diagnosis means that we can jump into early treatment. Um, Even if we're worried about air quality, um, then, you know, we can end up with dogs that will develop pneumonia as a result. I haven't seen any yet, but it wouldn't surprise me if that comes about because... You know, dogs that have been in house fires, for instance, we know that they will get severe, severe lung damage. And obviously we're not at that stage, but um, I'm sure that it plays a part on dogs that maybe have their lungs aren't 100% anyway. And then we add on this burden of the air that they're breathing. So I think it's worth a follow up with the vet because just I just don't like seeing things that are happening that shouldn't be happening. And peace of mind means you can say, okay, well, this is, you know, something that's going to go away or is it something that we need to jump on and get treated? Well, that, that was my initial question, really. But uh, quite, um, with all due respect, there goes my wins for me. My God, heart attacks. I live with it. Dog's my best mate. You've got to okay. you keep them close and they'll, they'll look after you. So, yeah. You couldn't possibly be closer than me and my dog. But uh, just as a point of interest, um, one or two eye problems with different dogs I've had over the years. It's yes. something I learned in the workshop. Uh I basically got a tea bag soaked in water and wiped the dog's eyes of it, and it meant, does it ever work? You think, I don't know why, probably got the tan, I don't know. But the the soaking wet tea bag, wiping dog's eyeballs out, it really works. I don't know why, but it works. It works. Yep, no, I've heard that before, and it is, it's the tannins alter the the iron, uh, the, the chemical composition of the iron in the tear stain, and that actually will cleanse it but um, certainly if there's an eye problem underlying the reason why we've got excess tears then 
that's why we want to get those checked as well. But thanks for thanks for that, Shan, and thanks yeah. for listening. Yes, yeah, good to really good tips there. Yeah, and welcome, Renee. Uh, you've got a question about your male dog. Yes, I do. He's a little centerfield terrier, and he was just around the twelve-month-old mark. And around about the two to three-year-old uh, age, he's now about six, six and a half, he reverted back to authoritative little with squeaking in the house. Yep. Um, and I'm, and it, I'm just wondering if it can be, you know, um, trained back out of them or reversed in some way, because I, I know it's an attitude. I can walk in three or four days in a row, and if I miss a day, he'll make sure that he's unhappy with me. Um, but there's also things like he will do it on a plastic bag or something inside, just, uh, or for an object. Um, first question, is he de-sexed? Yes, but he was de-sexed later, like at the 12-month mark. Oh, okay. Um, this can be a very complicated area. So generally, the kind of immediate stuff you can do is to... Um, couple of things one is to make some areas of the house off limits yeah first of all secondly is to make sure that you uh toilet him frequently and that's not that doesn't mean that oh well he's always got the ability to go outside or whatever but to actually put him on a lead and take him for a walk and you know first thing in the morning last thing at night after every meal kind of like you're doing puppy training again the reason we're doing that is and it has to be on a lead is that you are kind of leading and instructing um, and he's recognising, I guess, that relationship, okay? And because you're actually taking him out at the times when he would be more likely to urinate, um, etc., then it's a lot easier for him to uh, perform that duty with you on the lead so that he kind of goes, okay, that's what we do. And so you're trying to establish that new habit in that way. Now, having said that, I'm not going to say that or try and kid you that it's easy. Um, certainly at this age, it's, it does become a little more difficult. So that those are two things immediately I would be doing. Make sure you can close him off from some areas of the house um, and maybe really limit the amount of space that he's got access to. Um, you could make sure we do sometimes get into the idea of feeding them in different areas. And, you know, that's again to kind of, because dogs won't tend to toilet where they're going to eat. And so by even moving the food around, you kind of keep him guessing, oh, well, this could be where my food is going to be. Um, or it was, so I'm not going to, you know, toilet in that area. Um and then you get in, then it, this is where it gets complicated, is then you get into more um, behavioural modification therapy where you actually do active training. Uh, and, you know, if you catch them in the moment, what do you do? And a lot of people we've talked in the past about, um, and this is years ago, we used to talk about throw chains and water bottle sprays and things like that. A lot of those ideas we find were probably distracting, sure, um, but it didn't actually have a long-lasting effect. So, um, oh, I forgot to mention cleaning. You must use a non-odorant cleaner uh, that'll remove the smell, doesn't leave an, another chemical smell, which could be attractive. So um, what I was going to say is when, if you do catch him in the moment, 
you can call him and try and distract him and, as I said, get him on a lead and then move outside quickly. Really? Normally he does it if we're not around. Yes. Know, so, yeah, so that's where you need to just say, well, he doesn't have access to, like, if you're not there, he's, you know, might only be able to come into the laundry or maybe the kitchen and buy some uh, of the child gates. Um, I've got a few around my place to keep my dog from going into certain rooms, um, which is annoying because we have to step over them all the time. But (laughs) it's just how it is. And, um, you know, if he doesn't have access... Sorry, yeah, exactly. Who's training who? That's uh, yeah. well. I think we have to work together as a household. That's my, my <laughs> a harmonious about it. household. Exactly. Thanks for your coronate. Now, Cheryl, we're looking at flies. It's that time of year. Um, we were saying off air. We don't think they've been quite as bad, but you've got plenty around I, oh, your house. That makes me sound moment. like I'm a dirty person, Sarah. No, you've just got a lot more. Yeah, we've got a lot I've of got, yard. I've got and, no yard. Yeah. Well, I've got a yard, but I've got no plants. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Yes. I don't think anyone has. Yes. Look, flies come around at this time of the year and they're really attracted to some breeds of dogs. And what actually happens with these flies, they they're um, not all just normal flies like we think of, but some flies are actually biting flies and they actually get onto the dog and they bite and take blood from their ears. Now, when this happens, obviously it's annoying to the dog. So the dog will often shake its head or or flick at it or scratch it or rub its head along the ground. And when it's doing this, actually things can go really wrong. So if it's... If the fly is biting the dog's ear and the dog shakes, it can actually get what's called a hematoma. And the hematoma is where blood sort of pools in the ears. Now, David, this is an interesting thing because it needs to see the vet and it can Mm -hmm. often be caused by injury, but it can also be caused by a fly biting. Oh, absolutely. I've seen hundreds of dogs with that exact problem. Yep. And so what do you do as a veterinarian for the hematoma? What when the when the client presents with that? What what's the treatment? Well, look, it's been a while since I've seen one, I have to admit. Mm-hmm. And what I did find was that oftentimes the recommended treatments changed, but I found that in most cases we ended up having to do surgery. Yes, yeah. Mm. Now, look, if we let flies bite our dogs, we, we end up with another problem, not just the hematoma, but the ear can actually become quite damaged. So the tissue can change, the parts of the ear can fold, they can grow extra tissue, and sometimes the dogs have to have um, ears operated on to have part of the ear removed because of that um, tissue damage. Mm. So that's, a, that's another thing that we've got to be really mindful. So if you do see any flies around your dogs, you need to make sure that you're using some preventative, just like we do for ourselves we use different you know um, protectors for ourselves there are available products for your dogs to pop on their ears so if you're seeing the flies biting them now one of the things that you might see is little blood you know spots on the dog if you're seeing those you need to wipe them off sometimes they'll be crusty and the flies are attracted even more to them so Mm. it's important to wipe them off and David you were saying before just with a little bit of water while wiping the, the the saline water like wiping the eyes is a good way to wipe the ears yeah, I guess if there's a concern, would they start bleeding? Generally, no. Um, but I think, yes, you want to take away the things that are attracting the flies. Yeah. And the flies are after the protein in the blood, mm-hmm. which then they put into their eggs. So um, if we can clean the ears up 
and then, as you said, apply a preventative. Yeah, because this is the thing, talking about how the flies lay their eggs there, those flies then hatch, the, the, the eggs hatch, mm-hmm. and they feed on that tissue. So it's really important to make sure that we're not allowing the flies onto our pets. And it's not just dogs. I mean, I did say dogs, but chickens get affected, rabbits get affected, we get our cats. Oh, yes. All of these animals can be really affected by flies. So keeping our environment really clean is so important. So picking up our dog's bowls, making sure that you know we're not leaving excess food around and particularly those people that are uh, that feed bones to their dogs because yeah. that's bringing more flies you know keep keeping our chook pens clean and our bird aviaries clean because we just got to make sure we limit the amount of flies that come to visit our pets because mm. it really is a problem and uh, a lot of people don't realize that when they're getting their scabs on the top of their dog's ears they they go oh what's wrong with my dog you know and they don't realize that it's the little flies that are doing the damage but Cheryl, when you said preventatives, mm-hmm. yeah, I was going to ask, that, is yeah. that Erigard? <laughs> Yes. Not for our dogs. Am I getting, do I just grab some fly spray and spray my dog? No, there's definite products that you right. can use that are safe, okay? Yes. So there's lots and lots of different ones available. But some of them, I will say, come in a spray bottle. And dogs usually don't like to be sprayed. I like the creams. Yes. And the other thing is, if, if it is a spray one, get a piece of chucks, divide it into a few strips and saturate that, then wipe it over your dog's ears. And I'll tell you what, some dogs smell more than other dogs. So if your dog's not a clean dog, you need to get a bath because Mm -hmm. the flies are going to be more around a dog that's got odour. And there are some breeds of dogs that have more odours than others. So, you know, boxers seem to be one of those dogs. I often wonder about this, like, is it like people... Yeah. You know, some people are more attracted, attract, not attracted to, <laughs> attractive to mosquitoes, for instance. And I think that's true. I think yeah. dogs are the same. There are some particular dogs and some particular breeds that are more attractive, certainly short-haired breeds. Yes, and when there's not a lot of hair on the ear or the mm. pinner itself, flies find it really easy to take a feed from those ears. So, they do. You know, it's really important to just look after them. So if you're noticing flies around your dog, please do something about it. And I, I've seen dogs that have had this is a chronic problem, very often very difficult to control because once they get that damage that you were talking about, mm. it's kind of hard to get anything to prevent them. But the creams, I think, work a lot better. Yeah. I did. I asked that question. It was a bit of a Dorothy Dixer, just in case people are out there thinking, how come the vet didn't know what to put on the dog? Oh, okay. I yeah. did know. You did know. We, we knew that. You were just yeah. sparking the conversation, David. Yeah. That's, what that's, what, that's what you do in that's your That's what I'm profession. here for. Well, look, John from Fennel Bay has given us a call. He's a vet. I know, John. And he, he just wanted to con- – well, that's probably a paid I didn't. advertisement here. <laughs> he rang to congratulate Thank David you, on his well-spoken <laughs> English and well-spoken words. Uh, he commented that these can only be good for the profession. There you go. John well, wants well, a freebie. Well spoken because I'm <laughs> slow because I'm trying to think of what, what my answer is. I'm getting old, John. Come on. Oh, no, that is it's really right. lovely. Thank and you. we welcome your comments and your calls. But I think there is, there's certainly a thing about mosquitoes that go for certain blood types. Absolutely. Are you a blood type? My dad and I will get bitten at a oh, party yes. over yep. anyone else. I, it's strange, isn't Not it? Not my brother or my mother, though. They leave them alone. I'm sure there are. I'm sure there are researchers, and I have to feign ignorance on this point. Mm. Um, There's something. There's going to be some papers there that'll explain particular proteins, odors that we give off, things like that. Obviously, mammals, dogs included, humans, are attractive to these blood-sucking insects. And Mm. it's only the female mosquito that the pregnant female mosquito will feed. Well, that's what they say. Can I say I'm not surprised? 
I love my pet chat team. Come on. Come give, on. G- give them a break. They're very hormonal, clearly. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Kill them, though. They're awful, those mosquitoes. Ooh, oh. The mosquitoes, I'm <laughs> <cool>. <laughs> Now, David, this time of year we're getting those incredibly hot days. They will obviously get hotter mm. as we progress through uh, December and January. We need to be very aware of heat stroke for our pets, and they suffer right. from it a lot quicker than what humans do. Well, a couple of myths, first of all. Um, one is that uh, we only see it in summer, and that's not true. We can see it all year round. So it's just that obviously it tends to be more of a problem at this time. And I guess the other thing is whilst pet chats on our Christmas break, um, don't forget this, folks, because just because we're not here reminding you, mm. yeah, your pet could still get the effects of it. Obviously, we're a little bit worried about December, January, the kind of temperatures we're going to see. Yes. So I do see a lot of people out walking their dogs very early, which is great. Um, the interesting thing I've noticed with my dog, which is a brachycephalic dog, so with the pushed-in nose, yep. is that um, anything over 20 degrees is completely off limits. We're not going to exercise. Oh, really? Yep. If I check the um, hour-by-hour forecast for the next day and I have to make sure I'm out before it's 20 degrees. Okay. Um, That's the first thing. And then the second thing is that even at that temperature, you know, 19 degrees or whatever, she can get overheated because the amount of exercise generates heat in the muscle um, and it's really about how much heat we're producing versus how much we're able to get rid of. And so dogs, uh, we might walk along and think, oh, it's lovely, it's pleasant, might even, yeah. you know, might even put a light jumper on because we cool by uh, perspiration, by sweating. And so our skin is constantly cooling through that mechanism. Even when we can't feel that we're sweating. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. And so, but dogs don't have that. The only place they've got sweat glands is in their pads of their feet. And there's not much air circulation there. What they do is they pant and get rid of heat that way. And so... If they're producing heat faster than they can get rid of it, then we start to see their core body temperature go up. So this doesn't mean that you'll feel hot on the outside, although they often do, but that's a very inaccurate way. You know, I've said to people, oh, your dog's got heat stroke, and they say, well, he doesn't feel very hot. Mm. But, you know, what? what's the temperature of your hand? What's the temperature of the dog's face or whatever? So um, we look at the core body temperature. Um, and what happens is the first organ that seems to suffer, the first organ system, is usually the gut. And um, I have to put my hand up here and say, I've actually walked my dog, and yes, it's been around that 20 degrees, and there have been times where I've walked her and she's gone, that's enough, and starts you know, vomiting yeah, right. or develops diarrhea. And that's really? a signal, a very, very sharp signal that, hey, stop, cool down, stop, stop producing any more heat. Um, and let's cool down. So we want to make sure we do that, preferably of a morning. Some people say, oh, I don't, I do it at the end of the day, you know, when I get home and I go out. The problem with that is that, first of all, you have to wait quite a while for the heat of the day to go. Yeah. But the second thing is that your dog has actually had heat stored up in their body all day. Mm. And maybe they're just keeping it under control, again, if they're a brachycephalic dog. Um, and then you take them out and walk them. So you think it's cool. But they're, you've just added a little bit more heat into their system. Um, but even still, if we get some real shocker days, and I think we've already had quite a few, dogs could just be lying around the backyard and still get heat stroke without even exercising. And I've seen some dogs that just lie in the sun 
Uh, I was going to ask, are they, they aware just, of it themselves when they're getting to that danger zone? Because well, Izzy will go out on the cement in the sun on a really hot day and just pant his little face mm-hmm. off. And I'm like, get him inside. It's too hot. But he's choosing it. It's very confusing. Right. But they're the dog and we're the parent <laughs> or we're the person. I know, but aren't they the, all about survival and they've got that survival instinct and something would kick in to say, not necessarily. I'm overheating? Okay. The species and and the uh, the species has a survival instinct. <laughs> Individuals maybe not <laughs> okay, so much. Okay, okay, yeah. Uh, so, so we do need to pay attention and, and remove in that situation. Yeah, and, and so the gut was the first thing. But what happens after that? If anyone's taken an egg and cracked it into a hot pan or even onto a hot sidewalk, you'll see it change colour. It goes white, mm. goes translucent, becomes opaque. And the reason is is that the proteins are changed. Now, the protein in an egg is called albumin. Guess what the number one protein in your blood is called? Albumin. Yeah, right. Right. Now, it's not not the same albumin, but it is a protein. And so if you apply heat to protein, like meat is muscle. Okay? So when you cook a steak, that's what's happening to the muscles in your dog. And we see – I've seen really bad heat stroke where they develop um, uh, heart rhythm problems, electrical problems – where they develop a thing called rhabdomyolysis, which means your muscles break down and they start overloading their kidneys with a protein called myoglobin, which causes kidney failure, and they start peeing out port wine-coloured urine. Gee whiz. And now I mentioned the diarrhoea. The next thing after that they're going to get is uh, cerebral edema or swelling of the brain. Obviously that is not good at all. Bad stuff. Yeah. So prevention, prevention, prevention. And what what do you do if you're a silly vet and you walk your bulldog? And they and get they, heat stroke? Yeah, cool them down, hose them down is one thing, and then get to the vet and put them, uh, don't just lay them in the house in, um, you know, air conditioning. You want to actually hose them down and then drive with the windows open. I actually think windows open is better than air conditioning because you get more air yeah. moving over the wet dog and that allows the heat to evaporate out so we're kind of simulating a sweating uh control mechanism so david how do those dogs go um with the long-haired breeds like the siberian huskies and the alaskan dogs like how do you, they it's really interesting right because you look at those and you think oh they're going to suffer in the that's heat. what i think of i always go oh i feel so bad for them well their fur is quite um different in a lot of ways they have these primary guard hairs they have the longer Uh, secondary hairs, and so they're actually able to regulate their temperature reasonably well. Oh, okay. You'll notice a lot of them are white, obviously. Yes. Not many black huskies around. No. Um, Black hair tends to retain heat. White hair tends to clear, lets the heat come out. So they actually go okay. Well. They're not as bad as what you might think in in the hotter days. Look, they do better in the snow than they do in the heat. Yeah. But, yeah, they're not as bad as some other breeds. Some interesting stuff. That's all we've got time for. Cheryl Shaw, I will see you next year, but you'll be back next week for Pet Chat. I'll be back, Sarah, and Merry Christmas to you. Merry Christmas. Dr. David Tabbert will see you next year. Merry Christmas. Merry Christmas to all the Pet Chat. Thanks for listening to this podcast from 2NURFM at the University of Newcastle. Topics range from gardening to health, well-being, pet care, finance, business and travel. You'll find them all at 2NURFM.com.